0: Welcome to another week of Rotating Reels. I'm one of your hosts, Hank Showalter, and joining me today are Keegan Tran.
1: Oh, where the hell am I? And Taylor
0: May. <laughs> hey, what's up? <laughs> so um, this week uh, is a B-week. It's uh, a week that I have been given reign to suggest the movie that we were watching. And I chose 2017's The Evil Within. Uh, It's an independent production directed by Andrew Getty, and the IMDB IMDb blurb is the sadistic tale of a lonely mentally handicapped boy who befriends his reflection in an antique mirror. This demonic creature orders him to go on a murderous rampage to kill the people he loves most. So as you can probably guess from that blurb, it's a really cheerful movie. It's pretty easy to watch. Um, And I think that uh, we all at Rotating Reels just really loved it, and it's probably going to win its place in our top five lists. Um, But anyway, we're going to talk all about that movie later. Uh, We're going to start with what we've been watching over this past week since our last episode. So uh, I called on Keegan first uh, for the, the intro name. So I'm going to go over to Taylor first for what we've been watching. Taylor... What have you been watching this week?
2: Oh man, I am I am back in fine form. Um, so God, let me just look at my list here. Well, so did I tell you guys about the Irish pub documentary I watched? Mm-hmm. I don't think I don't think I watched that last week. I was I couldn't remember. Um, great little documentary on Amazon. It's a little slow, uh, but it just interviews owners and patrons of these pubs in Ireland that are sometimes hundreds of years old and the same families ran them. Um, and so it was pretty cute, pretty quaint. Um, again, didn't understand half of what the people said, not even joking sometimes, especially down in the deep South. No clue. Literally this old man will talk to the camera for 10 minutes and I don't understand a word he says. Um, so then I also watched uh, a Bollywood movie called OMG. Oh my God. It's, uh, it's about, um, uh, an atheist shop owner who's, um, shop gets destroyed by an earthquake and the insurance company won't pay for his claim saying it's an act of god um so he decides to sue god uh and then of course uh god presents himself to him in in typical bollywood fashion um and so it's, it's really really cute movie um pretty fun li- very silly obviously um and then i watched the devil and father amorth or father amroth which so you've, you've seen you're nodding you've seen this hank
0: I uh, haven't seen it. Uh, it's kind of outside of my my typical like horror genre, but I'm pretty familiar with the movie from you know like
2: Reddit discussion. Yeah, man, it's a trip. So it's the director who did the Exorcist movie, like the original Exorcist movie, mm-hmm. um, and then he decides to. And apparently, uh, he sets it up saying he believed that the Exorcist that Exorcist story was true, um, and so he goes and films an exorcism of the chief. Exorcist um, of the Bishop of Rome, so, you know, at the Vatican. And there's all kinds of crazy details. There's like a quarter million exorcisms performed in Italy every year, like sanctioned Catholic exorcisms. Um, but so then then when they get to the actual exorcism of this lady, I had to skip forward because it was just, it was a lot of the director talking about his movie and like revisiting where they filmed the exorcist movie for some reason. Um, but so then they get to this lady who's clearly has in mental distress and they're doing this exorcism. And when she starts wailing, it's obvious that they've distorted her voice to make it sound demonic like oh i didn't know that going into the movie so we're watching this and it's so obvious because when she screams you can see the mouths of other people in the background the priests and their people's their mouths moving but they're not talking when she screams so it's like very obviously dubbed over edited and i read i looked it looked it up and he got called out for that and he doubled down and said nope that's not what happened that was real blah 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 so it's it's a trip Um, And then I watched um, a a really cool series. It's called Un Village Francaise, a French village. Um, And it's uh, set in a rural French village. It begins at uh, the eve of the German invasion of France. Um, And it just follows these people in this village around. But it's done in a really, really interesting way. So they don't give you... they don't make any concessions to the audience, really. They don't give you any background on these characters, so you just learn about them through the interactions they're having. So you don't know if this guy is a good guy, bad guy, whatever. The characters are really, really complex. Like, you know, half the town is having an affair because they're French, and that's something that (laughs) the Germans actually make fun of them for in the movie, or the the series, Um, but so, you know, there's this one guy who's having an affair, he seems kind of like a shitty guy, and then at one point he takes great personal risk to himself to protect someone from the nazis so it's like okay he's a bad guy but he ain't a nazi and so it's it's really interesting they don't there's no clear straight characters really really complex the dialogue's great costuming's great we're just on the first season but there's seven seasons and each one has like 10 episodes or something so it's gonna and it's from it's new. I think it ended in 2017, so it's it's relatively new. Um, and then watched uh, Dave Chappelle's Block Party because my partner hadn't seen it, um, and that caused us to go back and watch um, Chappelle's show, which she also hadn't seen. Pretty interesting to see how a lot of the a lot of the comedy lasts. It still seems relevant, um, and you know, comedy I think especially gets stale pretty quick over time. So it was interesting to go back and watch some of it. I think didn't help, hold up, but. Pretty incredible to see that he got away with that and he probably couldn't get away with it today. Certainly not some of the skits he did. Um, And then last I watched um, the Oregon Shakespeare Festival uh, was obviously shut down due to COVID. So on their website, they've been streaming um, some recordings from 2017. So watched um, Julius Caesar from 2017. They did a modern take on it, which can sometimes work, but it wasn't, wasn't particularly good. And the, the worst part was they had just filmed it for archival purposes back then. So like the camera guy's zooming in and out at different ports or he's like he's panning around and the actors aren't mic'd up. It's just audio recorded from like the back of the theater. So it's all echoey. So kind of hard to watch. But that made me want to go rewatch HBO's Rome, um, which is one of my favorite series of all time. I just love the way they portrayed all the big characters. Um, so I went back and watched some of that To I I don't, you can't fault Shakespeare though. I mean, he didn't have, you know, all the archeology on uh, in his favor that we do now. So I'll make some, I'll make some excuses for bill. Um, (laughs) but yeah, that's, that's what I watched this week. So all, all over the place.
0: Oh man, I'm kind of jealous of, uh, your watch week. Uh, the French show sounds interesting. I like French TV a lot. Um, and then also, I've been trying to get Haley to watch Rome with me. Uh, not not trying too actively, but, uh, you know, like, I'm, I'm kind of a history nerd. She's not that into the history stuff, so it hasn't happened yet. But one of these days, I'm going to get her to watch Rome with me, and then we can finally talk about it, Taylor. But with that... Hell yeah. With that, uh, I want to hear about what Keegan's been watching. What's been on your TV this week?
1: Yeah, so actually a fair amount. If the first 10 episodes of the podcast weren't enough to demonstrate that I'm very sensitive... Uh, None more so than taking criticism for not watching enough. So in the past two weeks, I was pretty light. Took it just super to heart for getting ragged on that. So really decided (laughs) to pile in on my watch week. Um, (laughs) On top of that, I'm also on break uh, from classes and took a couple days off from work. So I had some time to catch up on stuff. Uh, Where should we start? I think the first big thing was I watched Eric Andre's new movie, Bad Trip. I guess a fan of Eric Andre's comedy of just like his... Kind of balls to the wall, loud insanity.
0: You mean like the the Andre show, uh, the his show, Andre show, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so I, I I personally enjoy it quite a bit. Um, I, I've seen like every episode of the Andre show or the Eric Andre show. Um, but I really understand why it's not for some people.
1: So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah he's like he's 100 percent my sensibility in comedy and his new netflix special is really funny as well he has this new movie that was i mean this was filmed like two years ago but it's just now getting released on netflix because of the pandemic um it's him and then tiffany haddish who i don't think is that good in the movie and then the supporting character from get out little rel howry he was the um the tsa agent in get out premise is that it's kind of like a borat movie where there's like this really loose thread of like narrative connecting it all but the big thing is that they're like they're doing a road trip and throughout the road trip they're making frequent stops do pranks on real people so it's like very jackass very like borat and bruno um not quite as witty or doesn't have as much to say as like the sasha baron cohen movies do uh but it definitely has this like horrific eric andre twist on it that you would expect so one of my favorite pranks And this is a light spoiler for it, but uh, Eric Andre and his friends stop at a roadside zoo on their road trip from Florida to New York. And Eric Andre really wants to get a selfie with the gorilla in the zoo. And he realizes the door's unlocked. And so he tells his buddy and all of these women around are like, don't do it, don't do it. He's like, I need a selfie with the gorilla. So he breaks in and he tries to get too close. He steps on a twig and an actor who's in probably the most believable gorilla suit that I've ever seen in my life, <laughs> grabs Eric Andre, pulls his pants down, forces him to his <laughs> knees and absolutely demolishes his face, and then just sprays, like, uh, toaster pseudo cream all over his face, while these poor oh bystanders God. are just, like, Ugh. recording and women are praying and they're just so horrified <laughs> and Jesus Eric is and he's just acting through the whole thing. It's... it's horrific i tried to show my girlfriend and she just told me to turn it off because she was so grossed out by it but i mean (laughs) if, if you like eric andre's gross out humor i mean it's totally up your alley it's not nearly as good as like borat or borat 2 but i think it's really fun i think it's like a really good background watch um it's on netflix so if you have the service you know definitely check it out uh, what oh, else I do? That that really spoke to me. But go on. <laughs> it's definitely the grossest one. I, they scale down from there, so don't let that turn you off from it. Uh, the
2: gorilla spring <coughs> toaster strudel on Eric Andre's face is exactly what Hank wanted to hear about. <laughs> you know, I, I you know, given the demographics of
1: our podcast, I think <laughs> absolutely zero people will check this out after my description. Um, I also watched an episode of Falcon and Winter Soldier maybe we'll do like a recap at the end i know that hank you just got uh, disney plus i don't really want to get into the episode by episode of it but uh still entertaining i think WandaVision's a lot better but um i probably won't say too much more about each episode um and then i continued on my big reading of the x-men comics and i want to just give a little shout out to one of the spin-offs which is called marauders And i think anyone that has any interest in reading comics at all can step into this one fairly easily the premise of this is that there's a giant x-men island and they're a sovereign nation at this point where all mutants live and there are countries like russia and southeast asian countries and brazil that are keeping their mutants on lockdown and they don't want their mutants to defect to this new sovereign nation because they're You know, run by dictators or whatever, you know, military command. And so they basically take uh, Kitty Pride and a bunch of like Rogue and Storm and a bunch of other characters that you guys probably know from the movies and they put them on a pirate ship and they call themselves the Marauders. And they basically sail across the Pacific and the Atlantic, just stopping by these like, you know, dictator run regimes and freeing enslaved mutants. And it's absolutely insane. Everyone doubles down and has swords and wears full pirate gear. But they have mutant X Men superpowers. So uh, if you have Marvel Unlimited or if you want to buy one of the paperbacks, I would really recommend X Men Marauders. And then the last thing that I watched, <clears throat> excuse me, is an instant Hank classic and maybe a Taylor recommend, but I think it's definitely in Ooh. Hank's Corner. Uh, this is a movie called The Empty Man. So if you guys could close your eyes and put yourself in pre 2020 days when we were you know allowed to lick all the doorknobs we wanted and if you guys saw a movie <laughs> at this time you probably saw like at the very end of your trailer run for uh, like a trailer for this movie it looked like crap it looked like the bye bye man or truth or dare it looked like this really low rent uh, like blumhouse horror movie and i wrote it off i had seen plenty of trailers for it it looked really bad and then recently, this really big YouTube reviewer named Chris Stuckman put out a video called The Empty Man Deserves a Cult Following. So I was instantly hooked, was really, really curious to see what this was about. Started reading about the director, and I guess he, similarly to what we were talking about last week, he worked as a behind-the-scenes documentarian for like two decades. So he worked really closely with David Fincher on Zodiac and The Social Network. And got really close as like an understudy, making like behind the scenes documentaries, filming all of the like cast and crew interviews and stuff like that. He got like a $20 million budget from 20th Century Fox. And they were like, hey, make this crazy horror movie that you want. We, You get free reign what happens he finishes production and then they get bought out by disney so this movie just kind of ends up in limbo for a little bit disney doesn't know what to do with it they cut together like a shit trailer a week before the movie slated to launch and then they just drop the trailer everywhere and then release it quietly to like very little fanfare i don't think it made its budget back and it was just completely out like i think if you go to the rotten tomatoes for it has maybe 20 reviews so few that it doesn't get the little like rating blurb so i was like Hmm. what the hell's going on with this movie it's a two and a half hour horror movie and as i was watching it i wrote down a list of movies that i felt like influenced it i'm going to read the list to you and try to picture what this movie is like in your head 127 hours the bye bye man leah ramini's scientology expose documentary twin peaks the return riverdale midsommar the void and training day it's the most <laughs> bonkers, insane two and a half hours you're ever gonna spend. But it is so engaging. It's really, really psychologically scary and suspenseful. Very few pop out scares or anything like that. And a lot of times when you get to these end of these kind of like convoluted horror movies, and you don't understand anything, you're like, oh, you know, the writers were just kind of lazy or like things just happened that broke the rules and the movie wasn't interested in following its own rules. But this movie didn't make sense to me because I was being dumb and not paying attention because I went back and rewatched certain parts and you could very clearly tell that like when they were writing the script, the whole plot line was very, very clearly connected from end to end. It's a very weird, wacky movie, but it does have a lot of sense behind it and it really rewards like rewatches. So I'd heavily recommend it. I really want to tell you guys to watch it, but I also kind of want to save it for a Keegan week. So, we'll debate on that later, but it's it was a really really interesting experience.
2: And what what's again? What's it called? The Empty Man. The Empty Man. All right.
0: Okay, Can Keegan, you're week? going to either you're either going to need to tell me right now
1: that that is a Keegan <laughs> week or let me go watch it cuz you sold it to me, man. Like, it's I, crazy. Uh, All right. I think you should – I, you know what? I will spare us. I think you should go watch it and I think you should do like a mini review for what we've been watching next week because it's compl- It's the most Hank movie I've ever watched on my own.
0: Yeah, maybe I'll just go write it. like a, a guest blog post for you or something. Um, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
2: Awesome. It takes place in Bhutan?
0: A little bit. <laughs>
2: Taylor, don't spoil right.
0: anything. I'm not going to read
2: anything more before I watch this movie. Okay. Um, that was that was in the little snippet that I read real quick. No, so. you have
0: to understand. I am not going to read anything more. Keegan has already sold me. I'm not going to read anything other than the title. <laughs> um, so anyway, you guys, you, you know, you guys both had great what we've been watching this, this week. I just want to like give that a shout out. Taylor, very di- diverse week. And Keegan, you worked a Hank movie in there, which, like, love you, bro, but it's not something I expect from you. you I know. know. <laughs> um, so I-, I have to say, just delighted with both of your guys' what you've been watching. Um, you know, I want claps from all our fans to you guys on this. <laughs> uh, with that, I'm going to get into my what I've been watching. It's it's lighter this week than both your guys's, So, you know, I- I'm the one that has to hang his head in shame. Um so i started the week off uh tried watching uh psycho Gorman, which is a recent movie it's kind of a callback to like uh 80s like creature sci-fi um and it's it's... a kids movie right no (laughs) Um, but (laughs) the two the two main actors in the movie actually are children um it has child protagonists Um, And the movie's very much, like, a callback to, like, 80s practical effects. It's all done in practical effects. You know, it's, like, a lot of people in latex costumes, a lot of, you know, very thick-looking blood effects. And uh, I was watching it with Haley. The aesthetic is super not her thing. And the child actors that played the protagonists were... Well, actually, only one of them. Like, there there there's a little girl that was the lead... And she was like, if you've seen Bob's Burgers, she was like, if uh, Louise was written with absolutely no nuance, um, just, and, <laughs> yeah. and the film is live action. So incredibly aggravating. Um, so this is actually one of the few movies in recent memory that I did a DNF on. It did not finish. Um, we quit this movie <laughs> like 40 minutes in. Um, but the thing is, uh, I, I will say that, you know, like it was super not Haley's taste. Um, I thought the, the the lead actress was distasteful. But I think if I'd been watching the movie with someone that was like enjoying it, you know, and I'd also maybe had a couple adult beverages, um, <laughs> I, I could have on my own uh, made my way through it. Uh, the practical effects, they're all practical effects. Um, it's, it's kind of fun if you're into that like 80s aesthetic. It's very violent. Um, very absurd. There are kind of some annoying musical pieces in it that I you know I would just skip through because they don't serve the film at all. Um, but anyway, wait, wait, musical pieces, like song and dance? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, yeah, but, but but think like a hard rock, heavy metal song and dance. But uh, anyway, anyway, it's it's very particular. Um, the movie is it's it's very self aware, but uh, maybe a bit too smug about what it is. You know, like it's got a lot of faults. But uh, you know, if if you're an '80s horror fan, if you're into like creature features, uh, you know, low budget movies, or if you're just like a big stoner, like you can probably <laughs> enjoy this movie. You know, just get past the little girl. It'll be fine. So, like, even though I did, I did not finish on it, um, you know, on my own, I, I might have finished it. Um, and I think that, you know, if, if you're really into that latex monster suit look, you it might be worth checking out. Um, so, anyway, don't want to totally discount this movie. It has some things going for it. It just had some things that, you know, my household get, couldn't really get past easily. Um, but besides that, uh, as Keegan mentioned earlier, I recently got access to Disney+. Plus. Um, which I've been looking for for a while because, you know, I'm not a huge fan of Disney kind of in concept. But if you want to watch like modern television, you have to, or modern modern film in general, you have to hand it to Disney. They're doing everything, you know, they've got everyone. And that, that's, that's part of the complaint everyone has, but there's no getting around it. So anyway, got Disney Plus, started watching The Mandalorian. I know I'm kind of oh. late to
2: this party. Um, Taylor, have you seen The Mandalorian? I I watched the first half of the first season. Um and I didn't get I didn't get any further than that, which I I feel really bad saying. I feel like I let myself down, you know. Yeah, and I feel you like you did down. too. Um Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah no, cuz I just got to say like I went in ready to hate the Mandalorian. Like I'm go- I'm going to say it on air, the sequel trilogy of Star Wars, like I want to throw that shit in the fucking toilet. Uh you know, we had like The Timothy Zahn trilogy of novels, Uh, those were all fantastic Star Wars novels. They formed a, a, a fantastic sequel trilogy. Disney threw all that down the drain along with the Legends canon. And, you know, like as a nerd that's been, you know, in the video game world and the tabletop world and the literature world, I really enjoyed that Legends canon. Disney threw it out and I went into the Mandalorian ready to hate them for it. You know, especially, you know, the Mandalorians are close to my nerdy heart. I'm a big fan of the Knights of the Old Republic games, 1 and 2. You know, the Mandalorians are important parts of those stories. So, you know, like, picking a Mandalorian as your main character, you know you're going to piss off people who are big fans of the Legend canon. Um, That said, Mandalorians totally sucked me in. Watching it. It's everything you want from a Star Wars movie. It's visually fantastic. The special effects are great. They do a lot of those, like, latex suits. I don't know if they're latex. They do a lot of, like, the practical suits, though. You know, they have people in alien costumes rather than just CGI aliens. Um, it's a very, like, visual show. You can just watch the action and kind of know what's going on. And it's got, it's got great, uh, great appearances throughout it. It's got a. Uh, it's got like Werner Herzog, who like if you speak any German and watch movies, you should go watch his movies because I'm a big Werner Herzog fan, or yeah. uh, Werner Herzog, you know if if you speak, <laughs> you know. Um, but uh, it's got Pedro Pascal, obviously. Uh, it's oof, oof. got Carl Weathers, man. Um, you know, like. Jean uh, Carlo Esposito. Uh, anyway, I'm just listing names at this point, but the show's got all these great appearances. I Gina love... Carano.
1: Oh, oh, not anymore. <laughs>
0: oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Let's oh, cut that oh. one out. Um, but uh, <laughs> anyway, all these great appearances. Um, it's very episodic, which I honestly appreciate in this modern day and age of television, where everything's got these long, drawn out arcs. Like I like that. You know, like every episode is pretty self contained. Like, there's obviously elements running through it, but, you know, I, I've just uh, gotten to, like, the second episode before the end of the first season. And, uh, you know, obviously there's this big uh, plot running throughout it. If you've watched it, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, just go watch it. Um, but each episode is beautifully self-contained. Um, they're all, like, an adventure. And watching it, it has a lot of the things that I kind of liked about Firefly, you know? It's kind of, like you know like 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 it doesn't have the same crew vibe but you know the mandalorian's kind of a bastard like the the crew of serenity and firefly was um so it kind of captures some of that vibe to me it's like a little bit gritty like firefly but then also it really brings me back to uh I ran a Star Wars role-playing game game when I was, like, 13 or 14. Like, I was a young Dungeon Master. I got the Star Wars D20 rule book. My nerds in the audience will know what that is. Um, and I ran a game for, like, a couple of years. And this show is, like, really reminiscent of that. And it really strikes a chord with me because of that. Like, watching it, it feels like the Mandalorian's a guy that's being taken on, like, weekly, like, tabletop adventure sessions by a Dungeon Master. And I love it. Um, so anyway, really taken by The Mandalorian. Don't want to go into too much specifics. I feel like me and the host can talk about it for a while if we ever get Taylor to watch it. Um, how, its how far have you made it in so far? Seven episodes
1: in. Um, okay, so not on, yes. So just wrapping up season one. Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. Um, but anyway. I Sorry to cut oh. you off. I hate you guys so much. The fact that you guys, <laughs> week after week... First of all, I agree. The Mandalorian is better than the sequel trilogy. But the fact that week after week... I have to sit here and I have to defend the stance that the prequels are actually bad movies and you guys get to come in here and just steamroll Disney and with your just big old internet beliefs that the sequel trilogy is bad. Any person that says the sequel trilogy is bad and likes the prequel trilogy, it's a bad take. The the prequel trilogy has aged well and it's fun, but without the memes, like without the whole Reddit explosion of memes, I don't think we'd look back on those movies very fondly. And I agree that there's a lot of plot holes in the sequels, but... Man, they're so much better than the prequels.
2: Oh, Keegan, I, I see where the misunderstanding here. See, the, the, the <laughs> trouble is, is that me me and Hank are right and you're wrong. Oh. Because the sequel oh. movies are some of the worst movies ever made with budgets that big. Yeah, th- Just dumpster fires all the way through. And the prequel movies, I loved them before the internet was a thing. You were a child. Were a thing. You loved I loved you them. saw. Keegan, let That's me cut in That's not true. Here. I was a very cynical child.
0: <laughs> let me cut in here. I was a cynical child, too. I also love the prequel trilogy. And while it's true that they have plot holes, at least they have a plot running through the entire trilogy. Tell what them. What the All fuck right. happened in the <laughs> sequel trilogy. All right, hear me
2: out.
1: The, episode 7 is a phenomenal Star Wars movie. And if we would have let... If we would have... If Kathleen Kennedy and, you know, all of the creative directors would have done a Marvel thing and they sat down beforehand and they had a genuine through line of what they wanted to do... I think that, you know, Finn being a defective stormtrooper and maybe will he won't be pick up a lightsaber. I think that's a really interesting plot line. I agree. It gets really muddled when you get to episode eight. I don't think episodes nine is, is that great at all, but seven sets a really cool foundation. It's a little bit derivative of a new hope. Whatever. Jakku's cool. Ray's cool. BB eight. You get Oscar Isaac. Kylo Ren is still a badass in that movie. You guys are damn fools. Seven is better than any of the prequel movies. And I will die on this hill
2: we'll kill you on this hill because so seven <laughs> seven you're right is the best out of the three of them but i just i just don't know how they can sit down and say we're gonna spend how, how much they spend on those three movies hundreds of it millions of dollars billion, yeah yeah and they they sat down for the first movie they, they you're right they set up finn to do all this stuff they did they set did all this setup that they were gonna reward later right and then they just threw it all out the window. They had that second guy come in. I don't even want to say his name, that asshole that ruined everything. Uh, well, And he just know. threw everything away. Think about the first scene in the second movie is Luke Skywalker as an old man, no hope anymore in him, throwing the lightsaber over his shoulder. That was him throwing episode seven out the fucking window. I just – I agree. Just, I no, don't know how you can it's defend huge, all of them based on number seven. Yeah, uh, Huge no. disservice to Luke's character.
1: Go ahead. In-
0: Also, episode 7, like, arguing that that's, like, better than the other two... Like actually weakens the trilogy as a whole in my eye, because all of the things they'd have set up in seven, I agree, there were some great things they could have had as great through lines, and they just tanked it in the next episode. Like, Finn is a great example. He could have had such a compelling plot line, it was really an yeah. aspect we'd never seen before in the new canon, you know, the Disney canon. Like we'd never really seen like what a stormtrooper's upbringing was like, we'd never seen what happens when they defected. It was going to be brilliant. And what the fuck happened to Finn? <laughs>
2: Nothing. Okay. Or, or what was her name? Uh, Phantasma or whatever the fuck that Phasma. lady's name was. Captain Phasma. 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 Nothing. Right. They sold the action figures and all that shit and nothing. We didn't learn anything about her.
1: I don't buy that argument at all. Okay, I am more than willing to tentpole my argument that the sequel trilogies are entirely dependent on the quality of Episode Seven because that is exactly (coughs) what the prequels are based on. Okay, look, we look back fondly on One and Two, Pod racing, (laughs) very cute. All right, Maul's fun. He comes back later in Solo, but realistically on a quality standpoint the only thing that we're really looking to the prequel trilogy in is episode three right that's the only actually good movie out of the bunch the rest is some kind of fun scenes and some memes and you know really awful padme stuff but realistically no, i don't think no, it's you know
0: no the prequel trilogy is built on quality world building It is let down <laughs> by the execution of the of the actual film the world building is great It is uh, consistent throughout. It has some great political drama in it that you really don't expect from a series of PG movies.
1: Absolutely not. I do not care about trade deals at all. It is completely ridiculous. The treaty is a waste of time. Jar Jar Binks being a senator is bonkers.
2: I hate it. Yeah, there's plenty of problems with with the prequels. I'm not going to say they're perfect movies. But the first one, when when Qui-Gon dies, that entire fight sequence... Between Obi Wan, Qui Gon, and Darth Maul is one of my favorite sequences in any Star Wars movie.
1: I'm not going
0: to yeah, fight that. I That's agree fine. that.
2: Yeah, you see, we're not
0: going to resolve these differences today, <laughs> and we really we need to step back. We're losing our audience here. I can feel it. We're on what we've been watching. <laughs> we've just had a very long, uh, very long discussion about stars movies we haven't watched. If you're interested in this line of thought, we're going to introduce a Patreon in a future episode. I'm not going to talk about it too much here, but keep your eye out for it because if you support that, we will have the time to expose more of these thoughts. Taylor and I will defend the rightful, you know, the, the rightful tops of the Star Wars heap, the prequel, and Keegan will talk shit and be wrong. <laughs> but, um, but it'll be great. Um, so anyway, keep your eyes out for that if you're interested for Star Wars, but I need to cut us off there. No, thank you. You're right. uh, right. That's the discussion of The Mandalorian. What a weak-willed way to bow out. But let's move on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we'll talk about weak-willed when we talk about you staying up after this week's movie. But um, (laughs) anyway... Uh, other than the Mandalorian, I watched a couple other things this week. Uh, I've mentioned for the past couple weeks that I was watching Forged in Fire. And this week, I discovered a spin-off series called Forged and Fire Beat the Judges, where they actually make the judges of the main show compete against contestants. I and it's dope. Like, because, you know, these judges, they're talking shit about people's swords all the time. And in the Beat the Judges, they make one of the judges per episode, like, come out onto the floor and make his own sword and test that under the exact same test as one of the contestant swords. And, uh... Man, those judges get a run for their money, but they really do often like demonstrate their prowess. Like it, it, gave me a whole new level of respect for the judges, which has made actually like the main show even more enjo- enjoyable to watch for me because I know they're not just really convincingly talking out their asses. Um, so anyway, that's
2: dope. I love that premise. Yeah, it's that's it's dope. awesome.
0: And and it, like to be clear, this is a history show program, so like you expect it to or a History Channel program, so you expect it to be awful. You expect, like, (laughs) Pawn Stars level. Which, don't get me wrong, Pawn Stars is entertaining. But, like, no one's arguing that, like, the History Channel is putting off, like, top quality television. But this show, I think, is a real kind of gem in the rough. Like, really recommend looking out for it if you're at all interested in swords. Like, doesn't matter if you're interested in the use of them or the making of them. They show both. Um, So if you're interested in swords or knives... Go check it out, Forged in Fire. It's on Netflix. There's more of it on Hulu. Uh, Just absolutely phenomenal. Um, And then, as always, got to give the shout-out. I've continued watching Bob's Burgers, the latest episode of the new season. Fantastic. I think... The latest episode uh, is actually my favorite so far of the new season. I don't want to talk about it too much because I I, I don't know if my co-hosts have seen it, and I think they should, and it's just super easy to spoil 20 minutes. But uh, really, really good stuff. And other than that, I watched The Evil Within, um, which we're going to talk about, I think, now, because I was the last what we've been watching. Let's do it. So... The Evil Within, uh, just kind of starting up our discussion about it. Uh, we're going to start with a non-spoiler section. Um, th- this movie, you know, we're going to try and keep the non-spoiler section largely to kind of production notes about the movie, things about the effects in it, how it was, how it was created, uh, how, the, how the acting is in a, in a very general sense. Um, and then after a little while, we're going to move on to a spoiler discussion where we're going to talk about the plot and i think that both sections are going to be riveting but if you haven't seen the movie uh definitely bow out at the spoiler section because i think the entire impact of the film can be ruined by hearing that before you see it so that's just my warning but jumping into it uh for the non-spoiler section right now i wanted to ask you guys uh just in the very most general sense What were your first impressions from this movie? Did you love it? Did you hate it? Were you surprised by it? Keegan, start us off. Oh,
1: man. I was uh, pretty horrified by this movie. I (laughs) I was texting in the group chat as I was watching it. Uh, and as is kind of becoming a pattern for Hank weeks, every time I watch one of these, usually for like an A week, that's going to be like a big blockbuster, or like you know Taylor does like your your Citizen Canes or your Magic mics, like still you know relatively mainstream or stuff that I recommend. I'll throw it on the big TV. My girlfriend could be doing whatever she's doing, but I'll just be watching that you know kind of quietly on my own. Whenever it's a Hank week, this is you know purely laptop. I throw it on my iPad, or I just kind of try to keep it to myself because I know it's going to be pretty. Disturbing, whatever I'm watching (laughs) this week was uh, definitely no exception there. I pretty much told my girlfriend, you know, two hours, do not look at my screen for a little bit. It's going to freak you out, whatever you're going to see. And uh, it freaked me out. And I was pretty unnerved by the things that I saw. Um, It's a crazy movie. I don't know. I, I wouldn't consider myself a huge genre fan to the level of you, Hank, but I, you know, I really like horror movies. And I usually, I feel like I have a pretty good, spread across most of the genre but this had completely slipped through the cracks for me like i had i hadn't even heard about this movie and the main leads are like you know not small actors right i mean like this is you would think that this is something would be a little more on the radar it's a smaller production company like you'll probably get into more of the behind the scenes of financing and stuff that might have kept me from hearing about it but it was i mean super interesting it's like you said it's kind of hard to skirt around too much of the individual details um But no, I I think, like, in a way that uh, Suspiria felt like, you know, maybe it was a little gross needlessly or kind of just experimental for the sake of trying new things. Like, this movie felt similar to, like, a student film where someone is, like, putting their heart on the line. They're really kind of learning the ropes as they go. But. Imagine they have many, many years and a decent chunk of change to self finance and and like run it themselves, where it's that kind of like small film aspirations, but with a lot of polish on top of it. So, we'll probably get into more of like the narrative stuff later. I don't really want to talk about that now, but I will say some of the like visual imagery in this movie is amazing. There's a short montage in the beginning that it literally looks like a child's picture book, like a, a kind of demented version of a picture book. And then at the very end, it kind of adopts that similar visual style where we're seeing different mirrors and we're seeing different you know different versions of characters and mirrors and watching them cut back and forth and it's just super super interesting uh i slept really poorly the two nights following watching this movie because <laughs> i you know there's a good amount of this movie that involves dreams and and you know, nightmares and things like that. So I was pretty unnerved in that regard, but I am really happy I watched this movie. I don't know if I'll watch it again anytime soon, but um, no, it's definitely like an area in my backlog of movies that I'm happy to have like explored this realm of movies. The last thing I'll say is there's a line where a character says something that is so horrifying to think about. And that is after having an accident, a character says, everything is fine you can feel my skin is soft what's wrong with me is everything inside is broken and then collapses as if being held together by a bag of skin and that imagery is horrifying to me and truly truly unnerved me
0: awesome great thoughts from keegan (laughs)
1: um
0: before i get over to taylor i just want to say that uh after we watched this movie my girlfriend was like you made Keegan watch this? Um, And I I, I was like, oh no, am I too, am I too jaded by the genre? But no, I'm glad to hear that Keegan forgives me
2: after this one. But with that, uh, let's move on to Taylor. What were your first impressions? Well, first off, you don't need to apologize about anything you recommend. That's the whole point of this is you expose us to stuff we wouldn't engage with otherwise. And this is exactly a movie I would not have watched otherwise. Um, I'm not a big horror fan, just in general. I like, I like to be scared. So I do like watching horror movies that do scare me. I just feel like most of them are, and this one too, right? This is a particular horror built around pretty certain circumstances. And so since I don't find myself in those circumstances, it, doesn't, it didn't scare me necessarily. Um, but I will say one of the strangest movies I've ever seen in my life, um, particularly for the reasons Keegan mentioned already, that initial sequence I thought was, I think it's only the first couple minutes, but I thought it was some of the most interesting minutes I've ever spent watching a film, like just really crazy visual stuff going on. And then at the end, the same thing. Um, In the middle, it got kind of muddy, Uh, you know, there's a lot of plots that come up for no reason and get dropped um, or aren't developed at all. There's some dialogue that feels pretty weird. so I didn't, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't love it. I, I, I tried to stay invested after that first, those first couple of minutes. Um, I was like, okay, this is really interesting and unique, whatever's being done here. And I wish they had just done more of it throughout, throughout, but I'm sure if you'll tell us kind of the production history, maybe it can, you can see why some things are dramatically different in some parts of the movie than others. Um, but no, I, I, I enjoyed watching it if only for that, the beginning and the end, just because I thought it was so unique, all the Interesting things they they were doing. I mean, there were so, even in the first couple of minutes after that initial sequence, there's stuff in the background that, you know, there's there's randomly an object in the background will kind of glint or a, a, a statue will kind of move a little bit, just really creepy things that just create a real uneasiness. Um, and I thought that was really really unique. And I I also love Dina Meyer, so I was thrilled to see her in this movie. Um, so yeah, no, I, I had a, I had a good time awesome so super
0: glad to hear your guys thoughts on this movie um a couple times these guys have brought up like the production weirdness of this movie i'm going to talk about that in a a bit in a second but first i want to give my initial uh impressions of the movie because i don't want to be left out (laughs) um so (laughs) i actually first saw this movie a lot closer to uh its release in 2017 um in in college i was a member of a film club and uh, they started doing a podcast for that film club and they're inviting members to suggest movies and come on. And uh, for that podcast, I suggested this movie as well. So I've actually already published a podcast (laughs) where I'm talking about this movie. So that kind of tells you what kind of a person I am which is a not very creative (laughs) one. but um, (laughs) Anyway, so the first time I ever saw this movie, though, was in support of that podcast. I, uh, you know, my buddy was the president of this film club and uh, he and I got together in his apartment with another friend of ours and we watched this movie Uh, and all we knew about the movie was its production history. We didn't know anything about the plot. Um, We knew it was a horror movie because it's called The Evil Within and we had seen the poster. It's obviously a horror movie. Um, But besides that, we knew nothing about the production history. So, you know, being college students, it's like 2017, 2018, you know, had a couple drinks, watched the movie and kind of expected it to be complete garbage. Like if you read just about the production history, it reads like you're reading about Tommy Wiseau making The Room. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. So, you know, like without going into it too deep, because I want to talk about it in a minute, Andrew Getty made this movie. He had an obscene amount of money to make it with compared to most independent filmmakers and no experience, much like Tommy Wiseau making The Room. (laughs) And he just went out and made this movie. Um, So we went in being like, yeah, this is going to be garbage. And the movie, when I saw it, blew me away. Because it's a horror movie, which always gets me a little bit. I love horror movies. (laughs) But it's also, like, a horror movie where he was like, I'm going to try a bunch of new things. Whether it's from, like, a purely production standpoint. Like, it's, like, the type of camera I'm using to, like, how I'm composing shots, how I'm doing my effects. A lot of stuff in this movie was just so new. And uh, even to me as, like, an avid horror fan, you know, I've seen tons and tons of horror movies I watched it, and there was so much stuff I just not seen anywhere else. And there, there are some, I think, pretty glaring problems with the movie. Um, but to me, just kind of the novelty of it all grabbed me. Not to mention, I think that the, the story it tells overall, despite some glaring problems throughout, is really interesting. Um, you know, like, it, it does get a bit muddy, but it, it goes from kind of one place to another, and it gets you there. Um, And and so even the plot grabbed me Even though there were some problems with it The production was super weird So I saw this movie and I loved it And I walked out of it being like I love this movie and I can't recommend it to people Like I'm not going to tell my parents To watch The Evil Within Like I'm not going to be like mom, dad Watch The Evil Within, this is a great movie (laughs) At the same time, you know, like I was single back then I'm not going to like, you know, like talk to a new girl Be like, have you seen The Evil Within? (laughs) You know, And then, like, at the same time, my film friends, I'm not going to be like, guys, have you seen The Evil Within? Because they're, you know, they're all snobs. They're going to be like, yeah, we've (laughs) seen Citizen Kane, you know, like, what the fuck is this? (laughs) Um, So anyway, I watched it and I was like, man, I'm never going to get to tell someone to watch this again. So I was just so thrilled that we had another Hank week and it popped into my head. I'm like,
2: we can do The Evil Within. I was so thrilled to do it again um but with that i'd like yeah we're not we're not snobs man this is the exact perfect platform I for that agree. kind of thing
0: exactly we're not snobs we're not weenies you know like <laughs> <laughs> but uh anyway i was thrilled to do it again and upon watching I, I watched it again for this interview i didn't just or the, for this podcast i didn't just watch it back then and then like retain the memory and i was actually did surprised you, Did
1: you watch it with your girlfriend this time
0: i did yeah okay um, but I, I, I was surprised this time because I'd rented it the first time for like four bucks or whatever on Amazon. And uh, I swear to God, when I rented it because of the internet or because of the quality of the, of the movie that Amazon had on their servers, it was in lower resolution than I watched this, this time. And I watched this time for free on Tubi. And uh, so I was like, wow, this is so much crisper than I imagined. At first, I thought it was shot on like really shitty dim- digital cameras. Um, so this time I was like, it's better than I remembered. And I really wasn't prepared for that. You know, I expected to be like, oh, man, I was like a little bit drunk the first time. It's not going to be better now. <laughs> um, but, uh, <laughs> so anyway, I rewatched it. I was glad to watch it. I was glad that I got the chance to suggest it to some other people. And with all that, I want to talk a little bit about the film's production. And I want to get uh, my co-host's thoughts on how that could have factored into the movie. And we'll probably touch back on this in the spoiler section. So for our audience that may not know, this film had an incredibly troubled production cycle. So it was uh, directed, produced, written by Andrew Getty, who is one of the heirs to the Getty oil dynasty. So he's not involved in the oil business himself, but his granddad had a ton of money that he made on oil. Some of it went to Andrew. And when I say some of it, I mean millions and millions of dollars, you know? And Andrew Getty was a weird dude and eccentric, and he decided, I wanna make this movie. I wanna make The Evil Within. And he started throwing millions of dollars at it. He hired actors, he hired cameramen, he got the equipment, and he produced this movie. But he did it with no experience or education and so you know like the movie is obviously done by someone that maybe has seen a lot of movies but like hasn't studied film necessarily like he and so there's stuff in it like the the equipment is really nice but the work that's being done with it is kind of confusing you're like i can't believe you've chosen to use the equipment this way the actors like Taylor has mentioned a lot of them are actually kind of big names but the script they're reading reads like it was written by a high schooler like the the dialogue is not good in this movie um but then there's also cool stuff like you know he had to hire people to do something he couldn't do everything himself so like some of the in-camera effects you know he got a cinematographer that really knew his shit and they were doing you know really cool in-camera effects that we can talk about more later um, but anyway, over the course of this whole kind of like millions of dollars being thrown in a movie debacle, principal, to, uh, principal photographer, photography for this movie took place over five years, which is an absurdly long time for principal photography. You know, most movies are shot in a manner of weeks. You know, like you don't want your actors like visibly aging throughout the film right and we see some of that in this movie like five years of principal photography at the same time the technology advances in five years because even though it was released in 2017 the movie started filming in like the early oddies you know like we're talking like early 2000s he started five years in that time period technology was going fast so anyway the actor's age the technology ages the style ages it's five years and you can see all that on the film And then beyond that, he spent 10 years basically alone in his, you know, like, little mini mansion editing the film himself, despite having no prior experience editing a film. And the movie watches, like, that's how it was made. Because you can watch it and you can be like, this was not made by, like, an educated person that knew what he was doing. This was made by an obsessive person that had the resources to do whatever the fuck he wanted. Um so anyway with that background on the movie i kind of want to ask my uh my co-host thoughts throughout the movie you see things like the opening montage um which is done with kind of like a lot of cut and pasted imagery there's a lot of overlaid voices like is that something you had seen before did you feel ready for it coming into this movie keegan why don't you start us
1: off no and i was so i was kind of dumb i had watched the trailer which i feel like for Hank Week, I will probably stop doing. Uh, I feel like this movie, like, I'd known a little bit about the production and stuff, so some of the stuff you're talking about, I knew that like production took 15 years, so I was kind of prepped for how weird it was going to be, but I was like completely caught off guard with that intro. I mean, it's like it's a solid five minutes of, like, i said, that storybook where we're like overlaying different scenes and we'll see like a woman in a hallway and then she switches and all of a sudden, like as your eye was distracted to the right of the screen you look back and the woman's now a doll and we're just like constantly changing our focus and it's like very very confusing and then it cuts to the the young character going to a carnival with his mom and you don't know if this is a dream or not and he goes to like they're in the middle of a desert and he goes to do like uh like a house of horror type thing and it's i mean it's really i wouldn't say this is where it gets upsetting but it's it's kind of sets the tone for how weird and like off kilter a lot of the movie's going to be because you kind of you're not really you kind of understand you have a central narrator and you see him sleeping a little bit but you're kind of like struggling to find your footing of is i mean this is going to be our main character but you become attached to that voice he's going to use which he doesn't use for a lot of the movie otherwise and so that's already kind of confusing like you know all of the production stuff aside i wasn't ready for how kind of disjointed the narrative was going to feel coming into it but i think like some of the stuff you're talking about kind of adds to the surrealism of the plot and i don't know if this was intentional or if this was kind of a lot of stuff that was found in the editing room over 10 years but i mean you know like from a theme perspective it all kind of flows through all of that craziness really like it it is represented in especially that that early first few minutes and like taylor was saying you get these scenes of um you know the main character wandering down to a basement and there's like all these statues and every few seconds if you look one of them will move and it turns out they're being played by a real human it's it's kind of a it's pretty confusing and, and disorienting for sure so i i was not ready for that whatsoever
2: yeah i you know i I'll, after i watched the movie i read a bunch of reviews about the movie because i don't like to do any of that before i go into the movie i want to treat the movie as like its own work you know and what however it got to me there whatever production stuff there was i want to consider the movie on its own values um its own merit and so a lot of the reviews said you can't really talk about the movie or consider the movie without talking about all these production things i don't know if that's i I don't know if that's true like it's definitely interesting because it's so strange right it's definitely worth talking about um but I think just looking at the movie artistically by itself, I did feel a little disjointed that first, that first sequence I thought was incredible. And I, you know, given you'd already told us a little bit about the background, I'm thinking this is going to be a kind of poorly done movie, right? It might be interesting, but it's going to be kind of poorly done. And that first sequence I blew me away. Honestly, it blew me away. Um, and so I got pretty invested in that. And then when we switch from that narration voice to this other character, um, it uh, i wasn't i wasn't as interested i wasn't as interested in that the rest of it because it didn't seem unique it didn't seem that interesting i thought it was well done um but yeah, it kind of lost me there. And then I, you know, because we're reviewing this, I'm going to watch the whole thing and not be on my phone like Keegan. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> so then at the end, when it or the few times when it kind of brought back that surrealism, I thought that was great. And I thought that that was deeply unsettling, really unique. Um, and it was kind of the in-between parts where it became more formulaic, more like a traditional movie that it, it kind of lost me.
0: Nice. So... I think we've uh, kind of established that there are parts of this movie that that work, especially for some of our hosts, and parts of it that don't. You know, like that intro sequence; is very experimental. There are parts of the movie that are a bit more formulaic. They play a bit more with its genre tropes, and they tend not to work as well, um, especially because I think a lot of those formulaic parts kind of have some of the plots, some of the parts where the the plot falls apart to a certain extent. But Uh, I do want to talk a little bit more about the experimentalism of the movie um, because we've talked a lot about that opening sequence, but there's another part of the movie that I think we can talk about without spoiling anything. And then after that, we can move into spoilers. But that other part of the movie is that a lot of the scenes in the film make use of a mirror during either a dialogue or kind of like a central action scene. Like it shows things happening, you know, directly in the camera, and then the camera will turn and show things happening in the mirror. And I personally, when I watch the movie, am really impressed by this mirror work because, you know, none of it's special effects. They're always using real mirrors. Um, well, actually, that's not entirely true. Like, there, there is like some editing magic involved, but they're not just editing something into a shot. It's always something that's actually seen in a mirror somewhere. Um, but anyway, there's some editing magic but it's not like cgi special effects happening um and they do all these really interesting things where they will be kind of panning back and forth between a room and a mirror and things will change and i hadn't seen anything like that and they did it a lot throughout the movie and i think it was to great effect but i'm kind of curious to hear what my uh, co-directors think of it because even though it was done to great effect it was a little bit kind of like a low budget looking move like every time they did it you're kind of like oh like like it might have worked in the context of the movie but it seems like something that would have been maybe even easier to pull off using like more special effects or uh or you know some different type of effect so i want to hear what you guys think about those
2: mirror dialogue scenes i i liked them um I, you know, the effect of it didn't bother me at all. I a lot of the reviews I read said that this movie is clearly the work of an amateur. Um, and I don't I don't really think that at all. I mean, obviously, he was an amateur, right? So that's literally true. But um, it didn't come out like that to me. I thought it was done really well. The I think it would have been more effectual if we had kept – or more effective if we had kept that original narrator voice, which was very different from the regular voice the character had. So when we first started the mirror stuff – I was thinking it was going to be that, that we're going to see this two sides of this character. Um, And it ends up, at least my understanding was, which I could be totally wrong given, uh, given how, how disorienting this movie was, but it seemed like it was not that character. It was a different character, even though it was played by the same actor. Um, So that was the only thing that really kind of didn't work for me was that we, we introduced this sort of malevolent character, whether it's real or not. um, But, that's who he's speaking to in the mirror and i i didn't i didn't think that that was anywhere near as interesting as as the mirror work itself which i thought was very well done
0: keegan how about you what do you think of the mirror work
1: yeah no i thought it was interesting i think like the very easy out would be like you know a two camera positioning where it's a b a b and you're just kind of cutting back and forth as if it was like two characters speaking to one another but i do think it was kind of effective like especially early on when the character like, you know, the main character first is gifted this giant mirror. There's a lot of scenes where he's flipping it back and forth. And it's, you know, it's a little slower than maybe you would want. And it's maybe not as like efficient as those like, you know, A B A B shots. But it's really fun kind of like knowing that all of this was captured in one take and it was like all done in camera. I think that's it's really interesting to watch. Um as far as the motifs of like having the characters speak to themselves in a mirror didn't really bother me at all there's some stuff we'll get into spoilers later where i feel like it kind of breaks its own rules like i think there's a couple scenes where like the rules of who can uh, you know transport between mirrors and how efficiently they can do it and how much it takes away from them is kind of muddled but um no i mean like the actual conversations are, are really interesting and i think there's some some fun stuff where it like leaves that that prime mirror um and it was it kind of reminded me i don't know if you guys have seen oculus which is another movie that like really heavily features mirrors that's more of like that what you would typically expect i think it's still a creative movie but i think that has the more like traditional speaking to yourself and having a different actor with their you know having a different uh a stand in with their back to you and having the main actor through a sheet of glass or something which you would typically see um so no it was it was interesting to me for sure
0: okay um i think that around this time it would be great to move into spoiler territory because i think we've talked about the production you get that it's weird that it was made by some like weird millionaire in his own home um (laughs) but i think the real meat of this movie comes when you're talking about the actual like plot they're throwing at you and the things they kind of force you to see on screen
2: so i want to move into that and i have a couple questions for my hosts just real quick oh yeah taylor before we go before we go into spoilers the last thing i would say non-spoilery is that um i think if you liked donnie darko this movie has a lot of the same vibes with the surrealism that would just kind of be the last the last non-spoilery thing i'd say
1: and I have one more thing as well. If Emblematic of the the weird dialogue that we were talking about and how some of the characters deliver them really weirdly, I think Susan was a character I was really interested in. And my favorite line that establishes her character as we first see her, which isn't a spoiler, is they go in to visit her. She runs an ice cream shop, and then she, our characters move in. They say hi, and she looks at the camera. I think it's her first speaking line. She goes, of course you're happy to see me i'm outlandishly hot <laughs> and i was like is this is this a bit what's happening is this actually the script so it's yeah it's a it's a very very weird script and i didn't know what else to fit that weird observation in but
0: yeah no i think that was a great time for it so <laughs> we're going to move into spoilers at this point so if you haven't seen the movie put the podcast down now uh go watch it if the things we've said so far make you feel like you shouldn't watch it you know That's fine, too, but if you're going to listen (laughs) past here, go watch the movie. Um, But uh, besides that, we're going to take a quick break here, and we'll be right back with the uh, spoiler review. All right, we're back back from our little break, and uh, now we're in the spoiler section of this review. So uh, for those of you that are still with us, Uh, I assume you've probably seen the movie, and so you know the plot uh, more or less, but I'm still going to give a short overview of the plot in case one of you has been a real rebel and has stuck with us despite not having seen the movie. So a really quick overview of the movie is that uh, we start to a narration where a character is kind of describing a dream they had and saying that they don't know how to... Kind of tell the difference between what is dream and what is reality. And then we're shown the character himself. We're revealed he is a, uh, a mentally uh, disabled person. Um, he's a person who's had some brain damage uh, and so is operating a bit differently. And uh, we're kind of shown his life a little bit as he interacts with his older brother, who's his caretaker, and his older brother's girlfriend. There's shown to be some strife in the household, where his older brother has maybe some resentment for having to take care of him. But more pronounced is the older brother's girlfriend has resentment that the older brother has to take care of the uh, developmentally or mentally disabled um, protagonist. And the protagonist... Meets his reflection in a mirror who has conversations with him and eventually convinces him to start killing animals and then children and then people, um, saying that, you know, like this is some sort of like a way to become better, to undo the damage. And along this path where the protagonist starts killing all these people, the older brother reveals that uh, the, the mental disability is a result of kind of like an older brother bullying act um, that happened early in their childhoods where he pushed his brother down the stairs and the younger brother, his brain was damaged. Um, so anyway, the film ends with the protagonist uh, killing his older brother and his older brother's girlfriend as well as dozens of other people it's kind of unbelievable how many people he killed but anyway the plot is like him being unable to determine like what's reality what's not he ends up killing a lot of people and in the end he is arrested so that's a brief overview of the film's plot without any look at uh the nuances therein but i wanted to start off this spoiler section by asking my co-host starting with keegan like is there like one scene or like one plot movement from the movie you'd like to address in particular because there's a lot that goes on in this movie a lot of it's kind of disjointed but is there like something that you think would be most interesting for our audience
1: uh yeah so i have one that i think is very interesting and effective and one that is so dumb and is such a glaring like anyone that watches this movie if you have 10 years to watch this movie and like painstakingly edit it i don't know how in your right mind you would choose to leave it in so i'll start with a dumb one that i think is just such an absolute waste of space and we like spend so much time on the older brother who's the caretaker of our main character and his long-term girlfriend and they're consistently bickering over whether or not they're going to get married and it is su- such an absolute waste of time it doesn't serve the narrative at all basically they're just trying to decide whether or not i think Lydia's her name whether or not she's going to be moving into the house because obviously this puts her at danger as the younger brother starts going on a killing spree And it doesn't really ultimately end up mattering, right? We just basically need something to get her in the door, to get her in danger of being killed because ultimately she does die at the hands of the younger brother, but I just the whole marriage subplot is really, really boring. It doesn't do anything interesting at all. And I hated it and I wish it wasn't in the movie. As far as things that were really interesting, I think just generally the premise of a demon that resides within your body and forces you to do really bad things is really scary. I think the the initial dream sequence where we first see the demon and he flips our main character over and he puts a zipper on his head unzips it all the way down, pulls him open and climbs inside. And that maybe like being the impotence for why he goes on this killing spree is really, really terrifying and I think really affecting. And in reading about the movie later, uh, it's pretty evident that Andrew Getty dealt with a lot of personal demons. And when he did die two years prior to this movie's release, mind you, uh, it was, you know, he had locked himself away in isolation. He was very paranoid. He had a lot of drug addiction issues that he was battling. So he was someone who wasn't in a very solid state of mind when he was making this movie and throughout a lot of his life, it seems. And he had basically... You know, written this movie from the perspective of dreams that he had as a child that were so dark and scary that it like it it felt that they were things that he didn't even feel that he was capable of manifesting, and that really pulls through. And this idea of our dreams can be are we capable of these things that are so much worse than our our images of ourselves? or you know even if we don't act on them but these images that we produce for ourselves that play in our heads can this really be something that I dreamt up within my mind or is this something that comes from the other world or is something that you could push off to the mirror version of myself was really really scary and affecting as well and as someone that doesn't really I don't dream a lot like I think as a kid I had a scary dream recurring of running from a giant crab um, and like every once in a while I'll have a dream about like you know something funny or very like weird and absurd but I like the dreams that I hold on to I could probably count on like a list like on one hand and are pretty limited so I think this is really interesting to explore like how haunting uh, someone's recurring dreams can be in their like the entirety of their life and the art that they put out
0: awesome yeah I think both of those are great call outs because as Keegan said the marriage subplot complete throwaway like why <laughs> did they devote any screen time to the older brother talking to lydia about getting married like it did nothing for the movie but also the dream yeah. subplot you know as far as the dreams affecting uh, the protagonist dennis in his day-to-day life i get that because you know like i've had dreams where i wake up and i'm like wait was that yesterday or was that a dream you know, and that's kind of like the core problem of the movies that Dennis is beginning to have difficulty differentiating when he's in a dream versus when he is awake. And uh, I think they really draw on that kind of like disorientation and that fear really well. So, before I go into too much more detail about anything, Taylor, a couple things you'd like to pick out?
2: Yeah, well, so I. I sort of disagree with you guys on the the marriage subplot. I thought that, because they end up using that as a, a vehicle to explain, you know, we're, we're in spoilers here, so to explain that the older brother was actually the cause of this, this handicap, this disability that um, the the protagonist has. And I thought that that was actually well done. It just happens in the last mm-hmm. 10 minutes of the movie. Um, and so I thought that that would, would be okay because it adds a layer of complexity to the brother because at first for most of the movie, you're like, why are, why is the brother even a character here? Um, so I thought it could, it could have worked if they'd done it earlier and a little bit different, but I didn't, I, the minute they got to that part at the very end, I was like, ah, oh, now okay, now I see why this is here and what it was trying to do. Um, so you know, maybe that's one of the examples that other reviewers called out about the amateurishness of it, because it almost seems like you know, maybe after the director, after Getty died, the guy that came in after him was like, okay, we need to we need to do something with with this uh, this the subplot here. Um, So that I didn't feel so mad about that um, as I think you guys did, even though I agree it wasn't, you know, wasn't done very well. Um, The part that I'm trying to think of what really worked for me. I I liked getting to see because, you know, in in these horror movies, when you have this demonic type figure, whether it's imagined or real, um, you often never get anything from the demon's point of view. Right. You never get any explanation. You never get anything. And I always thought that that was a real missed opportunity because how cool is it to to hear what a demon thinks about stuff, right? Um, and I like that they did that a little bit. It wasn't it wasn't as much as I would have wanted. I wanted them to I wanted them to lean in on the surrealism because that's what worked best for me. And I wanted to kind of do that through the eyes of the of this demonic figure presence thing. Um, so that was what I found most enjoyable and most interesting about the bulk of the movie. Um, And they just didn't do enough of it for my eyes. Um, Something that I thought really didn't work was the whole um, uh, 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 CPA. I don't know if it was Child Protective Services, but there was someone from the state that was sort of, you know, this uh, person that takes care of, of developmentally disabled adults. And... Uh, Her dialogue was just awful, just like there's a scene where the brother goes, so are you trying to tell me that anyone can anonymously report someone for, you know, abuse of a disabled person? and uh you can just come and take it with no you know no questions asked you can just come and take someone and the lady goes yes that's exactly what i'm telling you (laughs) so like it just seemed like clearly the director whoever wrote that had had a personal gripe with this matter and then chose to chose to include it in the movie so that was a little weird and she eventually comes back and and plays uh, not a major role but is definitely a one of the things moving the plot forward towards the end of the movie. And I thought that was a little, a little too bad Mm -hmm. um, because it just didn't work for me at all. Um, And, and again, it could have, it could have been done. Okay. Like they could have made it work, but I probably would have cut it if I, if I was in charge, just, it just didn't seem that, that relevant.
1: I think her biggest thing is she comes back as the spider monster. I think that's (laughs) like the, the biggest thing (laughs) on the whole story yeah
0: yeah no i i agree like that part especially bothers me because i have a lot of respect for like what child protective services do or 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 at the very least are meant to do you know and she was just such a villain for someone that was like ostensibly out there to like protect the best interests of like the developmentally disabled um and (laughs) yeah I, i i was like I don't feel like these people really deserve to be made villains of. Like, I I don't know if like in the real world there are people out there that are like, yeah, I just wanted to, you know, uh, separate the developmentally disabled from their caretakers, even if they're pretty good,
1: you know, like.
0: like but she was clearly
1: job like that. She's like she has so much dissent towards her own career. She's like he's like, "Oh, this is a horrible thing. People would call some people would call you crazy." And she goes, "Some people would, for sure. We're crazy." It's like who <laughs> acknowledges their villainy that you know, it's it's uh, it's a little outlandish.
2: yeah it's... Yeah. So that that was a little a little bit of a weird subplot that I, it seems like someone just had an axe to grind. Yeah.
0: And the thing is, Taylor, I also really strongly agree with you about the surrealism like Man, I wish they'd leaned into that. I love surrealism in film. Um, I think it works well in a lot of places, it's applied. in this film, especially in the the beginning and like the ending monologues, it uh, it did a great service to the film. But then also, like, in, even in other movies we've talked about on this podcast, like Saint Maud had an element of surrealism, both like in like the imagery during uh, during kind of like the drunken stumble sequence and stuff like that i think surrealism can really serve a film well especially a film that's done uh with a limited budget or with a limited skill set you know you can kind of substitute in some surrealism that's you know applied kind of judiciously um for like places that you can't like visually represent everything that you're trying to convey and i think this movie could have done with more of that that application of surrealism, you know, like him talking to himself in the in the mirrors and stuff. Really cool visually, but they could have done more with it from like kind of like a is this me or is
2: this the demon perspective? Um That Saint Maud comparison I think is is really apt. I didn't think of it until you said it. But yeah, there's because what we're what we're talking about, right, is you know, whatever angle you want to take to analyze this this movie, um, or even Saint Maud, right? We're talking about people that I think maybe even by their own admission would say that they're having some some uh, mental disturbances right these are people that are having psychological problems going on whether that's the sole explanation doesn't really matter um and a great way to kind of at least for me a, gr- a great way to kind of bring the audience along with that is to represent that sort of uncertainty about reality in the film itself so that's why in the the very beginning when we're seeing those statues move if i think if they had just done things like that when you know when we're just interacting with the protagonist if they had done more of that just little things in the background moving or things that just aren't seeming quite right i think that they they were onto it and i'm sure it'd be very time consuming to to film and to do all of that if you're, especially if you're using practical effects but um that was where the movie really shined. And I think that that would have been a great way to kind of pull me in deeper if they had kept that going.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree. And though I do love this film in its own way, you know, I don't think it's perfectly made. I don't even think it's like objectively a great film, but like, I love it for like the way it experimented. I feel like if it had leaned into those weirder aspects of itself it would have been a better movie, you know? Like if it had really leaned into that surrealism, if it had really kind of like suspended the audience from kind of like their, their anchor place in reality, it would have benefited. So I agree with you there, Taylor. Um, but with that, I kind of want to move in, on from kind of like our general thoughts about the, uh, the plotting of the movie. And I want to talk to, about a couple specific scenes. And because we're running a bit long, I'm I'm going to keep myself limited to two. But th- the first specific scene that I want to talk to is um when Dennis, the protagonist of the film, kills a uh, just someone that sh- like eating at the same restaurant as him during like the the octopus animatronic scene. So there's a scene in the movie where someone's going to the bathroom and Dennis basically runs in and stabs him to death with a knife and throws him out the window. And at least for me, when I first saw it, it was an incredibly shocking scene because the movie had had quite a bit of implied violence up to that point, and it had played with some horror tropes, but this scene was right out of like one of the Friday the 13th movies. Someone just dies brutally, there's blood spattering on the camera, and Dennis just throws them out the window, and then they just gloss over the scene. And it's bizarre because, like, they could have moved it. Like, like it seemed like they might have been transitioning onto, like, a slasher format. But instead, they were just kind of, like, using a slasher scene and more of a psychological movie. Um, and I kind of wanted to ask, like, did that scene stand out to you guys? Like, like was there any, any thoughts you have about it?
1: Yeah. So, as far as, like, the restaurant itself, first of all, I think this was like a big failing of the movie. I think like the animatronics are so weird and creepy in a way that like, like I talked about Willy's Wonderland in a past movie and like Five Nights at Freddy's does a lot of like animatronics horror. I think that's like a big topic in horror lately. And I feel like those, the the pelican or whoever is singing at at the front of the band is so weird and creepy in a way that's like not even believable that children would enjoy it. Like Chuck E. Cheese is weird as an adult. Like as we we have that like implied understanding of animatronics being creepy. But if you're a kid, you don't really give a shit because they look fine. They look like, you know, a low rent version of whatever you're going to see at Disneyland on a ride. But I was so put off by the animatronics there. I think, whatever. They serve to show him how the octopus works, whatever. That's fine. But I agree. Like, that scene, you're pretty chill. Like, we haven't gone on a killing spree in a little bit. We're like, we're getting some goofy dialogue between the two brothers. They were a pizza. You're like, pretty relaxed. The brother says he's going to go pee. And I was pretty calm at this point. And then he just absolutely rushes this dude who's taking a dump and just stabs the living <laughs> hell out of him while screaming. And it, it, I sat upright. I was pretty like, Oh my God, what's happening right now? Uh, it's, I mean, I, I think the, the stuff that comes afterwards where he has, because I believe it's after that where he leaves and he sees the dead version of Susan. That is the scene that I talked about before that really, really kind of freaked me out. But as like a, a jarring scene that that really caught me off guard i think it was fun that it was just sprinkled in kind of like haphazardly to have this this loud slasher attack when like before we had seen him kill a child and it was very meditated he had to work himself up to it and it seemed like something that caused him a lot of like anguish to do and you know the susan kill is played with a little bit of like goofiness or it, it feels kind of otherworldly whereas this feels just like you said 80s slasher very exploitative very weird and out of nowhere so it's it's shocking for sure and i think it plays really well against like this deep introspective scene that we get afterwards where we see susan's dead body
2: that's interesting i most of the violence didn't work for me um i i think that they did it well although there is one part remember when he's when he's killing the ice cream chick and that, that whole setup was great, by the way, because I thought he was going to go in and kill her. And then he reads her this bizarre letter that he has her write down a letter from her own perspective, and it starts kind of fun. I thought that was great. But then he does, like, a weird backflip through the window. He, like, <laughs> hangs onto the window and then flips down. And, like, I, I couldn't tell if it, if we were imagining it or not. Because um, I think that the, be- the movie's best... Um, when we're we're seeing him in anguish and we're getting surrealism so when he's talking to the mirror when he's done some you know he's killed the animals or whatever and he's he's talking about how that makes him feel um and i think you're right that the jump from different stages of violence it feels kind of weird because he seems to have way more apprehension at first and then as time goes on he just doesn't seem to care which I can you know they even say in the movie that you're getting used to it so you need harder and harder stuff so now instead of killing strangers you got to kill people you love you know all that so they, they do try to talk through it but I thought it would have been more impactful if we saw the con- the consequences of his violence like we're seeing him do this taxidermy stuff we're seeing these bodies him in blood um and maybe not so much the actual violence itself because it didn't first off we're seeing this guy who has some physical disabilities um and which by the way this might be a, a time to bring it up i thought they did an excellent job with that i actually you know when i was growing up i had a friend that had you know it wasn't due to, to an older brother but had had uh, some very traumatic injury when he was younger and had physical and mental disabilities that were very similar to this guy's um Luckily, he was a a wonderful human being and not a serial killer, but uh, so I thought they did a great job kind of portraying that in a way that was um, sort of sensitive to it while not shying away from it. You know, the the character will use some um, slurs uh towards himself about his disabilities which i think really kind of shows the angst that he has about them so i thought that was all done really well but then when he has these murder rampages apparently all those disabilities are gone and he can flip out of a window and chase people down and overpower them <laughs> and stuff and just a total disconnect from the rest of the character we've seen
0: yeah no i i want to talk to that a bit too i think that uh the, the portrayal of a character with a disability is really interesting to me in this movie because like it feels like he's a very full character and also has a disability like it's kind of a character trait of his rather than being his defining like his defining role as a character and so i do think that's kind of tasteful in a way that i didn't expect from this movie which in a, in a lot of other ways is kind of distasteful but they portray him as a pretty full character like he 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 has a lot of things that he's like interested in that he does he has relationships with people and also he is somewhat disabled um so i thought that was really interestingly handled but then yeah like taylor was saying like he's flipping out of windows he's like overpowering people in bathroom stalls and you're like is this supposed to be the demon or what the hell is happening? And like, as a horror fan, I'm like, these are really good slasher scenes, but as someone watching the plot, I'm like, how the hell, like, this is a little chubby kid, you know? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. so anyway that's one of the scenes i wanted to talk about it's that bathroom scene Um, we've gotten keegan's thoughts we've gotten taylor's thoughts i personally think it's a really jarring scene i think it's really accentuated by the scene after it that keegan has talked about a lot where he runs into the ghost or whatever of susan the ice cream girl that he's killed earlier and like they kind of mix like this like total slasher scene with this very psychological scene It's something that is clearly only in his head and he has to deal with it and it terrifies him even compared to him just like viscerally like murdering someone with a knife so I think overall it's like kind of one of the better sequences of the film even if from a believability perspective it's kind of hard to stomach but the other thing I wanted to talk about and I said I'd limit myself to two is the final scene of the movie the final scene of the movie he sets up this animatronic play that's populated by human and animal corpses that he's collected throughout the movie he's using lydia as a human puppet where he's hollowed out her body he's like talking with her with his fingers through her mouth it's disgusting it's all done with practical effects um For me, honestly, a little bit hard to watch, even as a horror fan. Like, seeing someone's, like, fingers poking out through your lips. Like, oh my fucking god. Like, (laughs) terrifying. (laughs) But I feel like for me at least as the big horror fan and i i i expect or i i could at least anticipate some disagreement i think it's almost the best scene in the movie because it's everything that's been built up to you know like he's been buying these taxidermy books he's been you know murdering all these people and we see like what he's been working up to he's been working up to like this great display of his anger towards his brother over this thing that happened that his brother did as a child he clearly regrets but Dennis still holds onto this anchor and he builds this whole thing. It's implied or it's directly stated that the demon caused it. But like after the scene, we have no real demonstration that it's the demon that was doing, it. you know, Dennis is in a straitjacket after the scene. He's saying the demon did it and he's like waiting to be let out. But, but that could also just be an incredibly angry person that, you know, like did these things and wants to blame some. So anyway, it's an effective scene to me both in terms of the visuals which are incredibly disturbing it's this human flesh circus and then also in terms of the plotting which is he's insisting someone else must have done this because how could he have done it but there's not really any evidence someone else did it and so for me it disturbed me to my core the visuals are amazing but i wanted to hear my co-host's thoughts about it so keegan what did you think
1: Uh, Yeah on the face of it Like nominally I think that scene Like my knee jerk Is to be like This is dumb I don't know how He's pulling all these wires I don't know how Everything is timed up Perfectly (laughs) Uh, I don't know how the reveal of like the spider fleshy spider sweaty thing coming out is timed up it's it feels really like silly mm-hmm. uh, given the point of the movie that we're in I think my suspension of disbelief is already pretty high we've seen like people jumping back and forth between mirrors we've seen two like very goofy cops move through a house and get killed by themselves it's like you know you, <laughs> you're basically willing to buy whatever the movie is throwing at you at this point and it's fucking gross i think we spend a lot of this movie where you know it's clear that dennis is hiding some kind of death and decay in the in the basement because he's very shady whenever he slides out of that door and we obviously have evidence that he's been reading about taxidermy and forensics so he's trying to cover his tracks he's trying to like build these weird displays we know that this is coming at some point uh actually watching it is as hank had said it's pretty fucking terrifying and just really gross and the fact that there's no special effects of something you know the spider human doesn't jump 20 feet in the air and land on the brother we kind of just have this weirdly suspended uh, amalgamation of like human flesh with the cpa woman's face on it slowly moving towards the brother while like you said dennis is just poking his hands through the hollowed out skull of lydia and as we're, you know, the scene leading up to that, when he kills Lydia and he at first drills through her head, I thought he was going to just give her a lobotomy. And even before yeah. that, I thought the brother was going to stop him in time to save his fiance, but that doesn't happen and he drills through her head and you think like okay she's just gonna get a lobotomy
2: he's gonna quote unquote, like she's level. just gonna get a lobotomy
1: <laughs> I, like, I just things told... will be fine she'll just be
2: lobotomized just <laughs> I a little him. bit Keep you it know light. the ice pick will just
0: go that deep
1: yeah <laughs>
2: i thought we'd keep it level
1: you know he'd play this whole thing of like you know my brother did this to me i'll do this to you you can experience life through my eyes kind of thing and then he just oh goes, i see no the whole brain's coming out everything in your head is hollowing out you're just a big dog with the
2: me. fire extinguisher <laughs> And it's so, that was
1: hilarious to me actually so gross the fire extinguisher grows. everything about it is really hard to watch and uh yeah it was pretty thoroughly disturbed i remember so i i watched this on my laptop uh, this is the final scene. And then you get like a scene with Dennis in a straight jacket, like Hank had said, where he talks about how the, you know, he was pushed to do this by the, the bad guy. Uh, I remember, you know, I get to credits. I close the laptop. I looked at my girlfriend. She goes, what do you think? I go, I don't really feel good. I'm going to go in the other room and sit down for a little bit. Cause I was so kind of freaked out by it. It's <laughs> like, so i You just I'll, stare I'll at the that. wall
2: for an hour. Yeah. Taylor, what do you think about it? <laughs> uh, I, uh, Yeah, the whole jumping in and out of mirrors thing, I was like, I don't know. Because up until then, I didn't have to suspend that much disbelief. Like, I certainly did. But, you know, we had kind of rules about him interacting with the mirror and the demon coming out of the mirror. And whether it was in dreams or not, like, we don't know what's real. So I was kind of going with all that. And then the cops with the mirror, I was like, okay, so that's just all out the window now. Now it's just crazy time. And I was thinking, okay, now it's really falling apart. And I guess kind of what I expected. I, it, uh, up until that point, I thought the movie's just been kind of going downhill the whole time. We started really great with that opening surreal sequence, and then we're just kind of going downhill. And then we get to the 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 pantomime show, and uh, I was floored again. I so if you if I just watched that first scene and the last scene, uh, the well, not second to last scene, uh, so that sequence, and then the the sh- the bizarre taxidermy show i would have been like this is an incredible cinematic achievement whatever whatever this is i love (laughs) the middle part that got us there was kind of for me um so i love that scene i didn't think it was that hard to watch i don't know i don't know why because i i thought it looked really realistic like if you did have someone create a taxidermy spider out of human parts that's what i guess it would look like so i i don't know i i kind of i kind of was going with the whole thing and i was pretty i was pretty excited to see him confident because that's what i i i wanted i wanted you know because we were the whole time the main character is all this self-loathing um and we obviously know why and it seems believable but His whole most of what he's spending his time thinking about is his inadequacies due to his disabilities. Right. Um, And so then this demon characters, if it's, you know, real or just a delusion, it doesn't really matter because it's preying on that and using that for its own ends. And then what I've seen other movies that do this, where you have a demonic type figure, take advantage of someone or in other ways, use someone and then the person starts to like that they start to like the power that comes with working with the demonic force and so when he's up there with his hand in um in uh in in, in the fiance's Empty skull and he's smiling as he's doing it. I thought perfect now we're getting some real character development with this guy because up until then he's just been a a blubbering mess that somehow every once in a while gets superpowers and kills people. Um, And so I I loved it. I I thought it was great. And I actually didn't like that final scene where they're trying to make us wonder, right, was it a demon? Was it really just a guy who lost his mind? And I thought they could have done a better job of that. And I that kind of goes back to what I said earlier about I wish we had explored the demon's point of view more. Like, I wish we would have learned more about the demon wanting to get out of the dark place, wanting to come from that world into this world. Like, I wish we had had a little bit more of is dennis now just trapped in his own head or or like what's what's going on so i thought it it really had the building blocks to be a pretty good movie it just didn't quite execute on all those things but that that scene i thought is was not that exact i thought that was a tremendous scene and i was all for it and i even loved when the cops came in at the end and ended it i i I loved that that was like okay reality needs to reassert itself because this is bonkers whatever's going on in this basement
0: yeah like whatever is happening here some cops with guns can kind of solve it you know it's kind of a dispute between a couple (laughs) members of a family but you know some cops
2: can come in and just take them away um or they could have made it a jerry springer episode that would have been good so he's like okay so uh listen your brother uh made a a human puppet out of your fiance how does that make you feel you know that that would have we could have we could have had some real good dialogue there spider comes in from the side (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> everybody asks, everybody thinks the spider's creepy but no one asks how the spider lady feels <laughs> all right
0: so <laughs> with that i think we've kind of run the gamut of opinions on different parts of this film and i think that and guys correct me if i'm wrong but I think that we all have kind of different opinions throughout different parts of the film. Like, we're like, yeah, parts of this really worked. You know, parts of this were like, clearly someone was feeling something and they managed to put it together into like some cinematography that really conveyed that. And parts of it are like, why are the older brother and his girlfriend having this conversation at the beautiful restaurant? Like, why do we need to film this? Did they just want to eat at the beautiful restaurant? You know, there, there, there's, there's a solid moment. There, there's a solid uh, kind of spectrum between that and this film between like, why is this here? And like, wow, this is cinematic achievement. Um, but overall, it's a weird movie. I, I personally, as a genre fan, really like it. And I'm ready to get to kind of the rating section of our show where we talk about, like, where we would rate it on an absolute scale. So I'm going to give my rating first because I'm already talking about it. And then I'm going to pass it off to Keegan and Taylor. But uh, overall, I think I would give this movie, like, mm, let's call it 11 creepy mirrors out of 13. Wow. Wow keegan where are you sitting at
1: where am i sitting at uh yeah no i think this is a uh, this is a movie that i'm much more happy that i watched over suspiria i think like if i had like an essential viewing of my hank movies i think this is way more interesting and i think it's uh you know if, if you're in this kind of very weird headspace of wanting to watch something that was you know self-funded and very very like indie feeling horror this is, it was just super awesome. It really disgusted me and upset my sleep schedule, but I'm, I'm better for it. I think, <laughs> I think I'm happier that I watched it. Uh, so let me think. If I had to give this a rating, uh, the movie itself kind of subverts the typical rating scale, uh, despite saying like, I'm happy I watched it. It's not something that I've really enjoyed. So I guess with that, I'll call it seven out of 10, Uh, needless trips to buy coffee from an ice cream store I mean how weird is that
2: (laughs) (laughs) they did do that why did they do that they're driving along and he says I need a coffee
1: how about you and she goes yeah He goes, let's pull over at the ice cream store my little brother likes (laughs) I have never in my life thought about buying coffee from an ice cream place but you know maybe they make great coffee uh, isn't
2: that isn't that like a French dessert or some <laughs> no, shit?
1: Yeah, no, the the it's Italian, yeah, right?
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. Yeah, Affogato, hold the ice cream. Just <laughs> nice the coffee, coffee. Just, <laughs> just the espresso. You know. <laughs> uh, so I, for my rating, I was telling my my father about this movie, and I was talking about that opening sequence, and uh, I. You know, I told him, I thought it was incredible, really, really an incredible, unique piece of of filmmaking. Um, And he goes, oh, I got to watch the movie. And I said, no, you don't. No, 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 you don't, Dad. I I know you're not going to want to watch the rest of this movie. So I would tell our audience that, that I don't know if you can find that first sequence uh, on YouTube or something somewhere, but if you can't, I think it might be worth paying the 99 cents, whatever, to rent the movie just to watch the first five minutes or so, because... That sequence is incredible to me. I mean, just so disorienting. And as you're watching it, I'm watching it. I'm trying to think about how they're doing it. And I I have no clue. I mean, just I was flabbergasted by that opening sequence. So I would say everybody should watch that. And you don't need to really watch the rest unless unless that scene grabs you enough. Um, So I'd give it two out of five. Uh, really, really self confident hot ice cream girls.
0: <laughs> and uh, just for our audience that want to, you know, heed Taylor's warning that most of the movie's not worth watching, you can watch the movie for free in its entirety on Tubi. Uh, you know, if, if, you, if you know streaming services, you know how to spell it, it's T U B I. And I don't think you'll have to watch very many ads to get that first five minutes. So. If you're interested, the first five minutes are probably the best. I think the last ten minutes are also pretty excellent, but go check it out. Um, But anyway, we've gotten everyone's ratings. I think this is a fairly mixed movie from us. You know, Taylor gave it, you know, kind of the low rating. I gave it the high rating because, you know, I'm... I'm I'm a slut for horror, you know? (laughs) Like, we're a... (laughs) We've all got our things, and I'm like, yeah, let's see some terrible, terrible things on screen. But anyway, we've run the gamut, and that's The Evil Within. If you watched it, I hope you enjoyed this review, but now it's time to move on, and we're going to talk about our next next week. So we took a break from A Weeks here. We had two B Weeks in review. We had Taylor Week, we had Hank Week, and next week we're going back to A Weeks. We're going to do a new release, and this week... We are doing this year, 2021, the movie Godzilla vs. Kong. So uh, I'm going to read you the IMDb blurb real quick. It says, The epic next chapter in the cinematic monster verse pits two of the greatest icons in motion picture history against one another. The fearsome Godzilla and the mighty Kong, with humanity caught in the balance. So I'm really excited for this movie personally. Um, I really love monster movies, though I have to say this movie has a lot to live up to for me because my favorite King Kong movie is not Kong Skull Island. It is Peter Jackson's King Kong, which is almost three hours long. It's a fantastic adventure Uh, movie. If you have anything bad to say about it,
2: you can go (laughs) fuck yourself. Um, You're not allowed to listen to the podcast.
0: Yeah, no. And then... On the same hand, my favorite Godzilla movie is not the recent remake of Godzilla. It is Shin Godzilla, which is a Japanese production. It's fairly recent, but it's much more of a horror movie than the most recent Godzilla that has, like, Brian Cranston and whoever else in it. Um, but so anyway, I'm still excited for Kong versus Godzilla. You know, I liked uh, Skull Island which was uh the most recent kong movie and you know even though the most recent godzilla is not my favorite it's still a fun movie you know it's not hard to watch you watch it and you're like oh yeah man it's fucking godzilla
2: so it wasn't that bad it wasn't that bad when i went to see it i was expecting it to be bad it wasn't good yeah Yeah. two, two good ones
0: yeah so I'm excited to see it. Y'all should watch it. Come to us next week. You know, it's not like The Evil Within. It's not going to upset <laughs> you, probably. Um, I, I say I haven't seen the movie yet, so I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out. But anyway, next week, it's going to be Kong versus Godzilla. Keep your eye out for it. Keegan Taylor, anything to say about that movie before we uh, sign off for this week?
1: Guys, I am so fucking excited for this movie. I... Would probably punch either of you in the dicks to watch this movie early. Like this is, this is a movie where I have watched every trailer multiple times, and you know, Hank read the blurb and it said two monsters. If anyone else has been following this closely and you've been watching the trailers, you actually know there's going to be a surprise guest appearance from a third kaiju. I'm not going to say who it
2: is. I have been rock hard. It's Magic Mike. <laughs> it's, it's a giant Channing Tatum in a thong fighting Godzilla. Absolutely
1: clapping Godzilla's cheeks. I am so stoked on this movie. I can't even express. I'm going to ask beforehand who are you guys rooting for? And if it's not Godzilla, punch yourself in the dicks right now.
0: It's Godzilla. Okay. How can it not be Godzilla? <sighs> Godzilla is king of monsters. <clears throat>
2: I just want to know the background for this Kong, right? Because sometimes, you know, especially like the first Kong movie, he's a pretty sympathetic character for me. And so I want to, I want to know. But, you know, I I, I share your guys' bias that I'm probably going to root for Godzilla. But if they make Kong like a real sad story, you know, I might, I might, I might root for Kong.
0: You know, the thing is Kong just can't shoot any lasers. But I'm sure we'll get to that. <laughs> In next week's episode. <laughs> this will be on so HBO that, Max.
1: I'm. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I cut you off.
0: Oh, yeah, no. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a bit. Uh, it's going to be on HBO Max. It's one of the movies they got in their Warner Brothers deal, I believe. Um, so if you've got HBO Max, which you should in quarantine, go watch it. It's going to be a good, like, two and a half, three hours. Like, unless you hate monkeys for some <laughs> reason. <laughs> um, go watch it. We're going to review
2: it next week keegan oh and send us emails ask us questions please (laughs) there's uh, there's hundreds of you listening i know you're listening we get the numbers why aren't you asking questions i know you i'm not trying to give you homework or anything but i mean come on i'm sure you got a question it can be a stupid question we will answer anything you know you can just insult us too if you want as long as you put a question mark like you can be like why do you guys suck so much? That's a question. We'll answer that question. That's a real question. You could say,
1: I don't like Taylor's voice, question <laughs> mark. And we'll answer it. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway,
0: that's this week of Rotating Reels. I liked The Evil Within. There were some more mixed uh, responses from our other co-hosts. And next week, we're going to be talking about Kong versus Godzilla. With that, Hank Showalter signing off. Thank you all for watching.
2: Peace.